You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Welcome to this episode of the Business of Practice podcast, where we focus on the business and human sides of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode, we're going to talk to AAEP President Dr. Rob Franklin about the AAEP Commission for Equine Veterinary Sustainability. I'm your host, Kim Brown, editor of Management. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you in 2023 by Cure Credit. Rob Franklin is a DVM and a diplomate of the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine. He serves as a consultant and business manager for Fredericksburg Equine in Texas. He practiced in California, Florida, and Australia before returning to his home state of Texas. Dr. Franklin formed the Texas Equine Veterinary Association in 2008 and served as its president in 2012. In 2014, he was elected as a director of the American Association of Equine Practitioners. After serving on the board from 2015 to 2017, he chaired the newly formed Wellness Committee. Franklin was selected as the vice president of the AAP in 2021 and assumed the role as president in 2023. Welcome, Dr. Franklin. Howdy, Kim. Thanks for having me. Great to be here with you. Oh, we're so happy to have you here today to talk about this important topic because the sustainability of equine practice is the top priority of the AAP. And while Equimanagement's been following and reporting on the work being done by the AAP's commission and its subcommittees, we really wanted to talk to you today to help those who are concerned about the equine veterinary industry learn more about where this movement started, where we are, and where we're headed. So what do you think was the turning point for the AAP to really make veterinary sustainability its number one area of focus? That's a great question, Kim. And, uh, you know, I don't I don't think there's a singular moment or event that created the uh, the, the need to get this this uh, commission underway. But really, it was a is a culmination of many events. Um, a, a lot of these were sort of a long time coming. Um, there's been some just changes in, in the way that equine practice looks and that's not novel. Uh, we've known that that has been shifting and you can look at something just as uh, obvious as a gender change um, over the past three decades and where uh, we went from a very predominantly male um, profession to um, now we're about equally represented, but the future is definitely going to be uh, the pendulum will swing the other way and will be a um, you know, majority of uh, practitioners will be female. And, um, and that's great, but it, it certainly uh, comes with some changes that just are inherent um, in, in the way that, that males and females uh, practice and, and lifestyles and, and that sort of thing. There's also been some generational uh, shifts and, and just the way that uh, modern society works. And um, also a lot of that is good. Um, you know, equine practitioners have have been noted for their work ethic uh, for forever. You know, there was always old Doc and old Doc was, you know, he or she was always available. And uh, while that has served the horse owners and and the horses uh, very well over, over time, it's also resulted in a lot of um, broken marriages and a lot of estranged children and a lot of health issues with the practitioners that uh, don't get to care uh, for themselves. And so um, we've known about those things and um, and those things have not snuck up on us, but they have, uh, they've been there. We've been sort of understanding and adapting practice to accommodate those 
those uh, shifts in, in practice for a while. But, um, you know, it was really in the past five years where, you know, again, a confluence of, of various factors, including COVID and, um, and the ability to work and, uh, you know, the shortage of workers and also just uh, veterinary medicine um, having a lot of demand on the small animal side that has a, a strong pull toward for equine practitioners to go that way because there's a lot of opportunities um, that it, it just created a tipping point. And um, like all things that are tough in our life, um, I'm very, very confident and actually happy that we reached this tipping point, but confident in knowing that there's a silver lining and that uh, when we make it through this mess, um, that equine practice will be better and it'll be better for the practitioners. It'll be better for the horse owners. And ultimately, uh, our main goal is to create a sustainable source of veterinary care for the horse. Um, and so all that is going to get better. It is actually getting better. And uh, in just the we're in the middle of our third year of the commission and we're already seeing changes. And, and that's exciting. And we're. Um, we're also, you know, getting feedback from practitioners, both young and old, and and saying, you know, thank you for uh, embracing th this change, this need for change, and helping lead us through these changes. Um, that that's uh, that's valuable because ultimately we're here to serve the members who are the ones that care for the horses, and and that that positive feedback is is an affirmation that you know we're on the right track. Well, tell us a little bit about the commission and the work that it's doing. I mean, it, there is so much going on right now. There really is. And uh, this, again, started three years ago. So um, it, 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 it started with starting to understand the problem. How do we understand this problem? What are the factors that uh, are involved in this problem? And so we went through this process called a mission model canvas that uh, really just helps get um, input from the stakeholders and, you know, to really understand what, what are the pressure points? What, what, what are the things that are making people maybe not go into equine practice? Um, or for those that start an equine practice and leave, you know, what were the factors that steer them away? And for those that um, are maybe further along in their career and, and maybe they're starting to get burned out or they're just feeling a, a, a little bit hopeless on, on the future of, of their professional career. Um, you know, what are those pressure points? So um, we had some just amazing effort by um, Florida veterinarian, Dr. Carol Clark and Pennsylvania veterinarian, Dr. Jim Zellif. They led this massive survey. Cam, you, you wouldn't believe the hours that were put in. They, they, they hired a, um, a veterinarian that's a specialist in, in being able to help us you know, understand these problems. And they dug into it with all kinds of, of stakeholders. So students, people that are in vet school now, people that uh, have, uh, are in the profession and, and just got in it, people that have left the profession, uh, you know, older practitioners, retirees, uh, professors, industry people, uh, practice owners, practice associates, just every facet of the, the profession was examined. And, through very lengthy one-on-one -on -one interviews that Jim and Carol uh, led, and then uh, their whole committee went through and, and sort of dissected these 
interviews to look for themes. And so that was done over the course of, of a year in, in 2020. And then the distillate of that work was, okay, here are the problems. And then the next step was let's create subcommittees that can work these problems and you know further understand them and then ultimately start to create some solutions to the problems some best practices some case studies of people that are winning through these problems um, some toolkits that you know people can just look at and plug and play um, and and really uh, that is where we are now we're coming to fruition of this work where we're getting these deliverables and we're beginning to push them back out to the membership. And we're also pushing these out to the horse owners through our horse owner educational committee that is there to, to help people. People are fascinated by their equine veterinarian. You know that better than anyone. And they yeah. love their equine veterinarian and they, they empathize with us and they celebrate, you know, our victories and they share and and our struggles and, it's really a family, you know, the veterinarian and the, and the client is, is really more of a family than than anything. And so I know that that those horse owners are curious, but um, that's where we are. We've got this commission. The commission is made up of subcommittees. The subcommittees uh, key in off of the five major areas that we believe are the keys to uh, successfully improving equine veterinary medicine as a profession. And that starts with um, students. It also starts with um, with deconstructing the internship process, which is a valuable training process for young veterinarians. Um, but it's also, uh, you know, whether you're a veterinarian or a, a physician, I mean, internships are, are, are tough. And there are some great ones where they get a lot of intellectual knowledge uh, in exchange for some hard work. And there's also some that are that are not good and that need to be improved. And where they're burning people out early in the career and they're not being respectful of people's personal boundaries and, and things like that. So internships um, and then going straight into practice culture. What are things that can make the practice culture is like any business culture that where people can thrive and not just survive and not just earn a paycheck, but you know, get get the fulfillment that they they desire from being on a team and being in a profession, and then uh, and then compensation. You know, I mentioned earlier about um, you know there's opportunities with our small animal colleagues and where you know they're able to work work less and in a less uh, stressful environment, a less dangerous environment from a physical standpoint, um, and make um, make the same or more money, and so. Um, that's unfortunately that's that's you know something that we've got to dig into because let's face it the cost of education is is rising and um, if you if you look at other professions and you look at sort of debt to income ratios uh, where you know if you're a, a physician and you get half a million dollars worth of debt but you very quickly are making two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars you know you've got a debt to income ratio of two to one. Um, we're seeing debt to income ratios of four to one and north, and that is uh, simply unsustainable. People cannot practice. They cannot enter, enter the profession with those sort of ratios. Uh, it's just uh, economically not feasible. So um, compensation is something that we're trying to understand. Um, there is some good news that for a long time, there's a bad rap sheet that equine veterinarians got. Um, and, and when we dissected more 
um, the, the pay discrepancy is not as great as what it was described. And so we're, we, we are trying to share that knowledge with uh, student veterinarians and, and people that are interested in perhaps pursuing a career in equine medicine. Just understand that, you know, here's the real data, here's the recent data, and it's, well, we're, we're closer to being on par for a, the average first five-year salary compared to our small animal colleagues uh, than, than we were uh, previously described. And then the, the last thing, our last subcommittee is a subcommittee dealing with emergency duty. Again, your horse owners, you know, they know that when they have an emergency, they have to be able to get a hold of someone. And that, um, that need, and, they, and sometimes, you know, it, it has to be a farm call, it could have a down horse, uh, it could have a lack of hauling equipment, which quite honestly, we're really trying to encourage people to, if you don't have a, a truck and trailer to, to, you know, go ahead and find that resource before you get into an emergency. But we understand there are times where we need to go out. Um, but providing that 24-7 emergency care that's so important for horses, uh, things like colic and diarrhea and, and lacerations and, uh, God forbid, broken bones and, and such, um, those are real emergencies. They've got to be seen. But uh, being on call all the time, if you're a solo practitioner in a rural uh, area where, you know, quite honestly, the work can only sustain one practitioner, that person's on call 24-7, Kim. and mm -hmm. We love horses. We love people, uh, but man, everyone's got to have a little breathing room in their life. And it's it's really hard to be, you know, to work a full eight, 10 hour, sometimes 12 hour day in the breeding season and then turn around and be out all night. Uh, people missing their kids uh, growing up, people not being there for their spouses, people not being able to spend time to um, find a spouse because they're just you know, working all the time. Um, those are lifestyle issues. And again, uh, the practitioners that have gone before us, before us, um, you know, hats off to them because they really did leave it all on the field and they, they gave a lot up uh, in doing so. But, uh, you know, the, the, the next generation says not for us. And so if we want to create a profession that is um, that, that, that younger people are interested in, in being a part of, we've, we've got to put some framework around this emergency uh, problem and we've got to find some creative solutions um, which is happening so those are the five um, subcommittees uh, and they're, they're they have uh, oversight from the the five officers and um, on the board and you know it is literally all we talk about um, it, it is so important and uh, again we're getting momentum we're getting output we're we're seeing results already. So uh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm very appreciative of the, the subcommittees. They're, these, these volunteers are just spending tons of time working on these problems. Um, so, you know, we've got a lot of unity within the organization, within the membership. We've got a lot of enthusiasm on people that want to make this better. Uh, and, and so whenever you have that confluence of, of people that uh, are motivated to see change, um, and, and they put that effort forward, uh, we're, we're going to get results. And so um, I'm excited about that. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Care Credit keeps equine veterinarians at the heart of care by providing horse owners with simple, budget-friendly financing options. By bridging the gap between cost and care, Care Credit supports healthy financial relationships between veterinarians and their clients. 
It can help them move forward with care a horse needs whenever and wherever it's needed. How can AAEP members help? I know that a lot of people are excited about this. So, you know, what are some of the things that just the normal veterinarian can do? I'm actually so glad you you said that because it's, it's actually the veterinarian at home that creates this change. So it's not these subcommittees, it's not the board of directors, it's not the officers, and it's for sure not the president that makes these changes. The people at home make the changes. And so what AP members can do is they can make the change that they want in the profession starting at home, starting with their conversations to, um, to high school students or junior high students who they're talking about the profession. They could be visiting uh, 4-H groups, FFA groups. They could be going to local veterinary colleges and speaking to those people, speaking to undergraduate animal science, equine science uh, students. Um, they can be talking to their clients. They can be trying to construct um, a, uh, a practice that that does value the time of of its uh, team members and that has a strong culture um, they, they can just be the agents of change and i think you know when people look at these really big problems they just get a little bit deadlocked and feeling like there's nothing they can do but um you know you bring it up and and it's been really my soapbox is that this all changes at home and with individuals and with the way that those individuals um, practice and they communicate. And then, you know, there's a there's a grassroots effect that happens from there. And then slowly we create a, a tide of change and that tide eventually uh, saturates the profession. But um, so people can be their own agents of change. They can also just tune in. The subcommittees are putting information out. So again, these best practices, these toolkits, these, hey, here's a practice that's very similar to my practice. Yeah, they're in Louisiana, I'm in Texas, but you know, they're a four doctor practice. They're kind of dealing with the same issues. And look at the cool things they're doing for to support their practice culture or to support their internship, or here's how they're handling emergency duty. You know, and so we're highlighting these these interesting case studies and allowing people to say, yeah, okay, I like the, I like what they're doing, I like what they're doing. I'm going to take a little bit of this, that, and the other, and I'm going to apply it into my practice. But again, the key is the application. You know, we can come up with all kinds of surveys. We can come up with all kinds of recommendations. We can do Zoom meetings. We can have uh, convention roundtables, table topics, podium speeches, uh, we can make videos, we can make infographics for horse owners to help them understand the problem. Nothing happens until a person changes at home and they change the way they're doing. And the other thing that I think is really important is this whole business of, well, it's their fault. It's the educator's fault. They're not doing it right. Or the educators saying, well, the practitioners aren't creating any culture. Who wants to go work for them? You know, everyone has been doing a lot of finger pointing. And, um, you know, not just within the profession, but also, you know, pointing at the, you know, at, at other generations, they're, they're pointing at genders, they're pointing at, you know, and pointing does nothing. And so uh, I think, you know, my, uh, or the immediate past president, Dr. Emery, she really 
you know, her, her main thing that I have tried to champion as she's uh, stepping back from her leadership role is let's stop this finger pointing. Let's realize this is all of our problem. It's none of our, it's not one person's fault. It's all of our fault. It's all of our problem. So let's get busy making positive changes and not complaining and trying to assign blame because that's not constructive at any level. Oh, that's that's such a great point to make. And I am going to go back and touch just a little bit on the vet students and the next generation. And I love the point you said that veterinarians today, when they have the opportunity to speak to a young person, is tell them about the changes. Tell them how the, the practice maybe isn't what it has been in the past and it's changing in the right direction. So maybe speak just a little bit about more how our practices can talk to owners and the vet students and the next generation because we see a lot of young people and so many young people want to go to vet school and then they either change their mind or they end up in small animal. I know there's a UC Davis class I'm giving a talk to tomorrow and the instructor said that the majority of these seniors want to go to vet school. So I'm going to go in and change a little of my presentation to put in some of these positive things that the AAP is doing and say, yeah, we are making changes. This is going to be a great place to have a career. But what can we do? Let's talk about that just a little more. Well, I think you're right. I think speaking is um, is is valuable, but um, we try to look at all these these younger people, the next generation, and we just assume that they're all from Missouri. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and they really want to see, they want to see something. They want to see change, you know, real change. They want to see, you know, a practitioner who, um, you know, is, goes to their, their kid's baseball game, um, who, who values that, hey, you know, block me out at 445. I've got to, I've got to be there. You know, I'm, 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 I'm helping, uh, you know, coach the baseball team. Um, you know, these things where practitioners are taking care of themselves in terms of their health, you know, they're stopping for, for lunch instead of, you know, the old, the old guard that just, you know, by golly, you, you work when you're done or you eat when you're done working, um, you know, and, and not taking care of themselves, you know, someone who's going to, to work out before uh, coming into work or doing yoga or, you know, someone who's valuing life outside of practice, but who's also thriving in practice. And, Again, we're talking about practitioners, but it could be a professor, it could be, uh, you know, a researcher, it could be someone in the industry. But all those people have the opportunity to begin to show people. And there's nothing that's more powerful than someone who said, I saw the neatest profession. There was this woman and she was treating her horses and she had this amazing, you know, life. Um, and it's it's not just practice, but it's life. And so... Um, I, I think we have to approach them all like they're from Missouri and show them the change. Now, we got to be talking about it, too. Um, but if we're not going to get out there and, and actually make any change, then what's going to happen is we're, we're going to go out, give talks, tell people how great it's going to be and how great it should be. But if we don't actually make it great, we're charlatans, you know, and we're we're going to get found out. And so it's it's both to me it's it's talk but walk also 
in in the in the talking helps explain the walking. But if you're not walking while you're talking, then you're just you know spewing a bunch of hot air, and and people ain't gonna buy it. They want to see that real change. And is there anything else, Dr. Franklin, that you'd like to talk to our audience about today as far as the AP Commission? I mean, it's, it has done a lot of research, a lot of work. There's a tremendous amount of information that goes out. I mean, we are working with the committees, the, I'm sorry, the subcommittees and coming out with reports. And wow, there is just so much going on. And the Horse Owner Education Committee that's working with these subcommittees to try and explain all this to horse owners so that they understand the changes taking place. So is there anything else that you want our audience to know? Yeah, I mean, just to kind of put a bow around it, it's, it, it is support the, support the, the commission. Um, you know, Please, please pay attention and, and immerse yourself within the, the stuff that's being pushed out from all this hard work. Uh, adapt what you can into your practice. Um, begin to dialogue with other practices and, and find those case studies that, that you know, we can model. There's also opportunity, as you said, to, to speak. And a lot of practitioners are joining um, a speakers bureau that we've created that can go and talk to uh, the vet schools and talk to 4-H and FFA and, and high school and junior high students. Um, so, you know, there are things people can do. And, you know, all that goes back to make make those changes that you want. If, if, you, if you are looking to hire somebody, if you're looking to retain people, if you're looking to improve your own life, make those changes that you know that, that, that you ought to do. Uh, and, may, and make 2023 the year that that those changes go into place, at least start that process so that we can turn this tide and really make this profession uh, one that, that people are fighting to get into. And, and I'm sure that's going to happen, Kim. I, I really am optimistic that that's going to be, uh, we're going to have, you know, the tide will change and we're going to have people who are lining up, uh, you know, to try to get into this profession because it's going to be such an enjoyable, fruitful, fulfilling uh, way to spend your 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 career in in practice. Well, those are wonderful words to end on today, Dr. Franklin. Thank you so much for joining me today on the, the Business of Practice podcast. And thank you to our audience who um, is out there paying attention to this and hopefully getting some of these messages and putting them into practice. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Care Credit, who lets us have these conversations. We invite you to visit equimanagement.com, your favorite podcast network, to hear each of the episodes of The Business of Practice. And if you have any questions or suggestions, send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown, at equinenetwork.com. 